Hi there, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for this RACGP podcast. We're going to be exploring today performance and image enhancing drugs. My name is Susie Hudson. I'm the clinical advisor at the Centre for Alcohol and Other Drugs at the New South Wales Ministry of Health. And joining me today are Dr. Katinka Vanderven, who is a senior lecturer at the Centre for Rural Criminology, University of New England, and a visiting fellow as part of the Drug Policy Modelling Program at the Social Policy Research Centre at UNSW. Welcome, Katinka. And I've also got joining us today Dr. Esther Hahn. Uh, she is a staff specialist at Drug and Alcohol Services Royal North Shore Hospital and, importantly, a general practitioner in her own practice uh, and with a very particular interest in performance and image-enhancing drugs. Welcome to you both. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Perhaps you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself um, and your particular interest in performance and image-enhancing drugs. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, this all started way back when um, I started my PhD, which initially was on the supply of performance and image-enhancing drugs. And um, since then, you know, my research has actually been much more focused on the use of these, of these substances. And a particular uh, focus mm -hmm. of my research is on improving health services for people who uh, use uh, steroids and other enhancement substances and who are, uh, who are experiencing issues. And I actually work, I do a lot of work with uh, general practitioners in also improving their knowledge about these substances and also in improving their engagement with this um, drug using group. Um, so yeah, and I think I've oh, already been doing research over 10 years in this area. Fantastic, Katinka. I think it's really helpful to understand um, the way in which the research side of things intersects with our practice, and, and that'll be really helpful for us today. And so can you tell me a little bit about, you know, based on your experience and your research, what is the nature and the prevalence of performance and image enhancing drugs here in Australia? Yeah, so before I go into the actual prevalence, let me just give a little bit of an explanation as to what performance and image enhancing drugs are, just for the listeners who are, you know, a little bit unfamiliar with these substances. Um, yeah, so, you know, performance and image enhancing drugs, and sometimes I will just simply use the acronym, which is PEATS, um, are basically, you know, drugs to enhance the uh, appearance of a person or to basically uh, improve their physical capabilities, such as like either your strength or their endurance. And I have to say that PEATS is not, you know, it's not a very clinical term. It's a, quite an academic term. And you will also not really necessarily hear that being used by general practitioners or even their patients groups. And, and I mean, the word, the term PEAT, you know, represents a wide range of substances. But to be honest, the oldest and largest group are basically non-prescribed anabolic androgenic steroids, which has been used in the late, late 1940s. And when I um, work and talk to uh, doctors, this, you know, this is also the main substance that they see in their clinic when you know when people are presenting with issues and coming in and um steroids are you know the vast majority of, uh, of uh, steroids are used by men uh, there are women that are using these substances but you know as said the large majority of people using these substances are, uh, are men right. 
And but having said, coming just really back to quickly about you know the term peat and you know including a wide range of substances. So what we do see is that people who use steroids often use other substances as well. So yeah, yeah. So you know, and the reason there's a couple of different reasons. Um, for why they are using other substances. So we see that people who use steroids often use other types of enhancement drugs just to, you know, in, uh, get, how we say it, to achieve, uh, achieve uh, augmented effects. So for example, use uh, of human growth hormone, for example, to enhance strength or the use of clenbuterol uh, for its fat burning purposes. Then we also see that people use steroids to, um, sorry, that they use sub other substances to minimize adverse effects uh, that they're experiencing. Okay. Okay. So, so what you're saying there, Katinka, is that people may um, present to a GP talking about one type of, of substance mm -hmm. use, which which in this case is um, might be steroids, but they might be using other things. And so it's useful to think about that when people are talking to people about these drugs, in particular, these drugs. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, drugs. exactly. And um, um, also in terms of when a patient comes in, it can sometimes actually also be that they would come in to see if they can get med medications prescribed to prevent some of, or to, you know, to prevent some of the issues related to steroids use. So oh, an example okay. of that is, okay. and, you know, correct me if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, Dr. Um, Dr. Haun, um, but for example, tamoxifen is used to prevent gynecomastia, uh, which, you know, can be related to using steroids. So sometimes patients will come in, you know, requesting that they ideally want to use this medication to uh, counteract the, uh, their particular side effects. Okay. Okay. Um, and so you, yeah, so you're describing, um, you know, and, and you can see is it quite a, a reasonable thing We're in society, people are very conscious about how they look, um, you know, with all the different types of social media, people are posting things about how they look. Uh, so you, you, it's, it's not unreasonable to think that people might be using these different types of, of drugs, yeah. but, but how prevalent is it? How, how often, or how many, what sort of groups are using these types? Of yeah, yeah, drugs? yeah, no, exactly. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Coming back to that question. <laughs> so, you know, it's a bit hard to judge because, uh, there are some methodological issues with a lot of these uh, prevalence studies, but having said that though, we do see that, you know, when we look at population studies specifically, that the prevalence of non-medical use of steroids in Australia is relatively low, but it, having said that it is, we do see a steady increase. So the 2019 national drug strategy household survey, for example, showed that lifetime use went from 0.3% in 2001 to 0.8% in 2019. When we look at, um, you know, international um, population studies, we see that, you know, the number of prevalence ranges usually between one and 3% as well. But, you know, there are, having said that, there are other indicators, you know, that steroid use is a bit of a growing concern. And usually, you know, the examples that I usually mention is that, for example, with the Australian Needle Syringe Program Survey National Data Reports, it actually shows that there's quite a significant increase in uh, PEATS as less in uh, drug injected. So, for example, this was only around 1% in 1995 and actually rose to 6% in 2021. And, uh, you know, wow. when we look actually at specific jurisdictions, we see that that number is even higher. So in New South Wales, it actually has risen to 10%. And, 
Yeah, and then you know another example that I also mentioned is that we look when we look at the two thousand you know the, uh, the latest Australian secondary students alcohol and drug survey, we see that actually that two percent of secondary school st- st- uh, students report using steroids and other enhancement substances in their lifetime, with one percent also reporting using it in the past month. So you know there are definitely indications that this potentially is you know a growing public health concern that we need to be a bit aware of. Okay, okay, and so so that might be one of those drivers for that older cohort is about perhaps older people wanting to arrest that aging process or is that one of the other drivers for people um reaching out or, or yeah well that's actually a really good point and i just wanted to mention that because you know we often think when it comes to steroid we often think about young people or we think about these very big you know beefy bodybuilders you know massively using steroids but actually what we do see is that there is also quite an older population you know over mm-hmm. 40 that is using these substances as well and not necessarily you know to get all these beef and shredded you know muscular bodies but more so because of these anti-aging reasons um so you know and to retain youthfulness um and and i mean in some cases there's also actually a medical indication in the sense that there's potentially some uh, you know low testosterone levels but then i mean on the one hand you could say that you know if there is really a medical indication um you know they can go to a doctor and they will be assessed and they potentially can get it on prescription what we see from research also is that Mm. sometimes people will self-identify as having low testosterone, but because they're not getting it from a general practitioner, will go to the black market to source steroids as well. Um, yeah, so there is a variety of reasons uh, for people to use these substances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talking a little bit about, you know, myth-busting or stereotype-busting, because, you know, having said that, you know, it's not just all these bodybuilders and young people using. What I also would like to highlight often is that even though, you know, the main reason for people to use this is for aesthetic purposes, right? So, um, you know, the body is definitely, you know, central and important because, you know, people want to, for example, get a more muscular appearance. Having said that, though, there is a bit of this stereotype that people who all people who use steroids have body image disorders. Um, you know, and, and that is just, you know, definitely not the case. So actually when, uh, we look at the majority of studies, we see actually that in general, people do who use steroids do not have a body image disorder. What we do, however, see is that people who have a body image disorder, that they are at higher risk of potentially using steroids. And I mean, this is not just from, you know, from research, but when I'm talking to general practitioners and potentially Dr. Han. Uh, can talk about mm. this later on as well, uh, potentially about what her experience is. But when they mm-hmm. man- assess and manage patients, um, they, we do see that they, you know, sorry, general practitioners generally mention that they don't necessarily see a body image disorder. You know, it is something that potentially needs to be discussed and, you know, it's something we need to assess for whether there is mm-hmm. um, disordered uh, self images. But, you know, in general, they, you know, when talking to doctors, they feel that that is not like the main concern when it comes to this patient group, at least for the patients that they are receiving in their clinic. Okay. And so in terms of really thinking about how and, and what the common reasons are for people presenting at a GP, you've talked a little bit about what why they might come to a GP to talk about um, performance and image enhancing drugs. Um, what, 
what are some of the reasons you've, you've talked a little bit about? It might be around them wanting to, um, you know, address their, their body um, to really think about that. It might be about um, trying to um, address, you know, there might be in particular, um, you know, work situations where, you know, their bodies are a very important tool um, as part of their work. But what are some of the other reasons that people might, um, you know, attend or talk to a, to a GP in relation to these? Um, I mean, you know, there's a couple of different uh, cases. Mm-hmm. And of course, every, you know, person coming in is an individual case. But having said that, you know, there are, we do see like more of like an, you know, uh, some general things that people come in for. One of the things is that um, often, you know, what often has been reported is that patients come in requesting basically to be monitored and tested because they have stopped their steroid use. And the reason for that is, is that because, you know, once people stop their steroid use, um, it can potentially take a while before their natural testosterone production starts up again and there are some things related to that in like for example in that period where the testosterone levels are low they potentially can experience level uh, feelings of depression low energy so they sometimes yep. will come in for that uh, to get monitored and tested um and uh well related to that is also that sometimes patients come in who, who well, as i also mentioned that you know who feel that their testosterone levels are low, that they potentially wouldn't do, mm. um, discuss the options of hormone replacement uh, therapy. And, you know, this is, you know, more common for older men to be requested. Sometimes um, a patient simply comes in because they want information and advice when they are considering using or, or when they are actually already using, and particularly around, you know, how right. potentially to minimize harms related to use. Um, then of course they come in because they are actually experiencing adverse effects from their use. Um, this can be, um, you know, things that are related to the substance itself. So as I already said, you know, potentially someone is experiencing gynecomastia and, you know, wants treatment for that, but it can also be related to their injecting practices. You know, for example, they might have a, you know, a big abscess. <laughs> for which they want um, to see someone as well. Another thing that um, is also related to, uh, I think I touched about on that a little bit already, but you know, when people come in because they've stopped using, is that they often have those feeling of you know low energy. So it is in- important to check for hypogonadism as well um, to see you know if that potentially is an issue for that person. Um, yeah, and those are the things that I can think of yeah. now. And so, and so, just thinking in terms of um, some advice and thinking for the for a GP, what are some of the red flags? So, what are the things that if people are coming in, they're they're asking questions about um, either their current use or or seeking out more information. What some of the red flags that you would sort of say that GP should really be keeping yep. front of mind? Yeah, is- well, it's actually interesting because we had a, um, we're currently uh, looking into uh, developing a quick reference guide. And one of the things that, you know, we want to mention there on as well was is red flags. And there's quite a list, but we actually try to like, you know, make it a bit more summarized. And um, the things that were mentioned on there is first of all, what well, is a red flag is used by a young person. So with that, I'm referring to someone younger than 20 years of age. And that is due to, <clears throat> due to the risk of some, you know, irreversible complications, even with short-term use. Um, then also another big red flag is uh, when comorbidities are present. 
So, for example, cardiovascular disease and hypertension, you know, there is, you know, for example, increasing research that the risk of cardiovascular disease, uh, there's a risk of cardiovascular disease when using steroids. So if you already have a history of cardiovascular issues, you know, you will more likely uh, increase issues around that by using steroids as well. You know, and uh, another red flag, of course, is when there are abnormal test results. So for example, if there's liver toxicity, that could potentially be a sign that someone is using oral steroids. Uh, and also, uh, you know, one and then the last red flag that we said, like, you know, needs to be on the front page as well is, you know, if there is potentially mental health disorders and other substance use disorder present uh, when the right. person comes in. Yeah. And so it's really thinking about that whole patient um, or whole person approach, really, isn't it? So to introduce our other guest today. Welcome, Esther. Good to be yeah here today and part of this conversation. Fantastic. So I, I thought it might be useful to bring you in at this point, but but because Katika was going to really take us through and has been talking to us much about um, obviously the, the 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 people that it might be using these types of substances, why they might be reaching out for a GP's support, some of the red flags, and we were just starting to talk um, and and round off things with a little bit of more information. So Katinka, just as we're thinking about some of those red flags and thinking about how a GP might be thinking about that whole person, are there particular resources or other other sources of information that you would really highly recommend to the GPs listening today? Esther and I have uh, been doing a lot of work uh, together and um, together with some other colleagues uh, as well. And one of the resources that we both have been working on that I definitely would recommend people to go to is actually the GP Guide to Harm Minimization for for Patients Using Non-Prescribed Anabolic Androgenic Steroids and performance and image enhancing drugs. So this while Esther was part of this team as well. Um, so to, to, together with several other doctors, uh, we developed you know, a very extensive guide, which is freely accessible via the Sydney North Health Network website. And in, the, uh, in addition to this guide, there's actually also a couple of online webinars um, that has been done by Esther and myself and some other health professionals that give some, you know, specific information about uh, in relation to steroids. I would recommend checking out those webinars as well. And to be honest, one uh, service that I can highly recommend is also the steroid education program at your community health, which is run by um, health educator Kay Stanton. And that program has been running since 1997 already. And it's like, you know, such a wealth of information. And especially Kay has so much knowledge on this and she's always really willing, you know, to help. You can call her emails or both patients and as, you know, clinicians can uh, approach her for help. And one other source that I potentially would recommend as well, but maybe I'm biased because I'm the director of that um, resource. Um, so I'm the director of the Human Enhancement Drug Web, uh, Network, but we have an education page on that website as well, which actually is uh, collects information, educational resources on this topic Fantastic. from a bunch of different uh, services and websites and so on. So I do recommend having potentially a look there to see if, you know, there's, where there's also a lot of good information on steroids as well. Brilliant. And a lot of these um, sources that you're talking about, Katinka, will will have um, associated with the podcast. So thank you so, so much for that. And 
Um, Dr Han, we've been talking about people accessing their GPs, but perhaps as a GP yourself, you could give us a bit of insight into how might a GP list, you know, start listening and, and have a conversation with a patient of theirs around, um, around performance and image-enhancing drugs? Sure, yeah. Look, I mean, it's always um, difficult having that conversation around illicit drugs, and there's a few reasons why. Obviously, there's a lot of stigma around illegal, illegal substances, and, and patients themselves might feel that, that judgment or be concerned about, you know, privacy and confidentiality issues. They're not sure if you're going to report them if they report that they're taking a legal substance. So, Part of having that conversation is actually just to reassure the patients about doctor-patient confidentiality, but also the limits around that doctor-patient confidentiality. And, um, you know, this is where we can just reassure them, look, you know, anything we discuss is, I'm really just mainly concerned about your health. I'm not concerned about legal issues or anything like that, unless it's obviously affecting your health. Um, I don't have to report you to anybody um, within the limits that we know around mandatory reporting for doctors. And I just try to normalise the conversation and I just try to say to pa um, mm. patients, you know, these are questions that I'd normally ask everybody coming in because um, I'm concerned about checking for any health-related issues. So, Absolutely. So, so it's yeah. really, it's, it's relying on that relationship too, isn't it, Dr Hart? Yes. You, you've built up with your patient and relying mm -hmm. on some of that and, and, and really, as you say, normalising these are questions that you might discuss or explore with any person that would come to, the, to their yes, practice. Yes, that's right. But even if it's a brand new patient, which it often is, and that's when we're starting these conversations, we, you know, patients appreciate when we ask them detailed that, you know, they'll say, often say to me at the end of the consult, oh, thanks for taking the time, you know, you kind of, you know, thanks for taking a detailed interest in history. And so something I might ask them, you know, as part of like a comprehensive assessment is, um, are you using anything to help with your workouts or muscle gain? You know, and um, can you tell me about any supplements you might be using, any any powders, any pills, any injectables? Um, and so just kind of having that conversation like we would when we're taking a sexual health history from right. somebody, just just having it roll off the tongue. Yeah, that's right. And that requires a bit of practice, you know, when we learnt, you know, how to ask some of these more sensitive questions in medical school around drug and alcohol use or around sexual health, you know, just we had to practice that. So it might be worthwhile, you know, just practicing what feels natural to you as a GP um, to ask your patient. Fantastic. And and thinking about perhaps, you know, describing to people listening, you know, what might a typical presentation be? Can you give us maybe a bit of a case study that helps us to understand the types of tests you might request or the way in which you might talk with someone, the things that might come to mind uh, in terms of yeah. their, their care? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I've seen patients using PEDS both in general practice settings and, and also referred to me in the drug and alcohol clinic. Mm -hmm. But I must say, um, this is not a group that identifies themselves as having drug and alcohol issues. So, so we're kind of less, they don't want to come to see me in a drug and alcohol clinic. And, and they're commonly encountering GPs for other health related issues, potentially. But it's also a group that doesn't tend to engage that well with healthcare practitioners. So when we do have them in our, you know, rooms, in our practice, um, you know, it's a good opportunity to try to start to engage them a bit more. And so um, I'll tell you, so th this is actually a, a gentleman that I was referred um, by a GP because the GP had picked up some um, 
blood abnormalities uh, and, and referred, you know, didn't know what to do next and referred to me appropriately, you know, in the drug and alcohol clinic. Um, so this was a 33-year-old gentleman who has been using uh, PEDS for about 10 years and his GP noticed he had a high creatinine level, you know, 160 EGFR or 49, urea was 11.6. So, and he had slightly kind of deranged LFTs. His AST was slightly raised, 42, and his cholesterol was a bit high. Total cholesterol was 6.3 um, with an LDL of 4.3. Um, the other thing that came up was that he had a raised hemoglobin level of 182. So I think these kind of basic bloods um, are definitely worthwhile doing um, for somebody who's currently using any kind of PEDS. So full blood count, kidney, EUC, LFTs, um, and, and cholesterol. Um, and then when somebody hasn't, has stopped using PEDS, typically we kind of wait, you know, six to 12 weeks and then might check some of their hormone levels. So we might check their testosterone, their, you know, sex hormone binding globulin, FHBG. Um, but it does take a little bit of time, you know, for some of these things. Whilst somebody's using steroids, you know, you test the testosterone, obviously it's going to be sky high because they're taking super physiological doses of right. testosterone. So not so useful then, but yeah, it can be useful to check some of the things, some of the adverse effects while somebody's using and then check some of the hormone levels after they've stopped using and, and just see how long, it, you know, it's taking to get those natural testosterone production to kind of kickstart up again. And what you're saying there too, um, Dr. Hahn, is that you don't necessarily have to be doing this on your own, do you? You've described a situation or a scenario in which a GP might run these tests as part of their routine care or as something that, that's been flagged for them, but they can be reaching out to specialists or people who have a particular specialty in this area and get that support. Is that is that what you're saying there? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, I mean, with this gentleman um, that I saw, you know, it was interesting. He, he'd um, gone overseas to um, South America and, and typically he'd use steroids for maybe a few months and then go off them for a few months to kind of kickstart his own natural testosterone production again. Um, but because steroids were available over the counter and a lot cheaper in South America, he ended up just kind of taking steroids for a lot longer than he normally would. And you know, I think he might, might have kind of been at high altitude over in South America. So, so he came back to Australia and he noticed that he was a bit tired, feeling low in his mood and energy. Um, and, and he went and saw his GP specifically for these blood tests. And that's when the blood abnormalities were um, picked up. And, you know, he, he did say that he had a bit of lack of libido and erectile dysfunction when he was off his testosterone. Um, he was usually kind of using a combination uh -huh. of uh, different injectable anabolic androgenic steroids, um, but he was accessing clean needles and syringes. Um, and, you know, I think in, in the end, when I did his blood test, especially the kidney function, something we need to take into account is people's extra kind of muscle mass. Okay. Um, they might be taking extra protein. They might be a bit dehydrated. So um, the creatinine level, we, we sometimes actually need to recalculate that with something like the cockcroft galt formula or the MDRD formula, which takes into account the higher muscle mass. Okay. But even those two formulae for renal function can be inaccurate. And, and sometimes we might order an additional blood test, um, cystatin C, which is a better estimation of renal function in patients with larger muscle mass. But it's not covered by Medicare. 
and, and that might cost the patient 50 to $60 out of pocket. But again, a renal physician might need to be contacted. And, and if the person has a high hemoglobin level, um, their red blood cells and they're at increased risk of developing a blood clot, then we might need to send them for a venous section. So we might even contact a hematologist. Right. So you're, you're really talking about a, uh, almost, a, a, a yeah, a, there are scenarios in which you might want to consider lots of those additional um, supports to make sure that you're able to attend to all the different needs that someone might be yeah, experiencing. that's right. But just saying, actually, that said, most people's kind of blood levels do go back mm -hmm. to normal within a bit of time of coming off the steroids. And that was the case with this patient okay. in that okay. I repeated the bloods to see where things were and, and his hemoglobin had normalised. And I think partly the high hemoglobin level might have been related to his steroid use, but it might have also been a physio physiological adaptation to the higher altitude he'd been at. And so, yeah, um, you know, some of these things, kind of tracking them over time, but, yeah, referring when needed um, to, the, to different specialties, like we would for anything else, like, you know, deranged liver function, maybe, maybe send them to a liver specialist. And if um, his testosterone was kind of persistently low after he'd stopped using steroids, then, then the hypogonadism and he was having the, the symptoms of that, then we might refer to an endocrinologist okay. for some hormonal support. Yeah. And so um, that, that's a very particular case of, case of someone who perhaps has some experience under their belt in terms of the use of, of these substances. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what might be different for a young person? So if you've got someone maybe under 21 years of age who um, is, is sort of perhaps been referred to you they're perhaps new to this whole experience. What can you tell us a bit about what might be flagged for a GP in this scenario, and perhaps what some of the potential permanent effects might be for for a very young person starting on uh, performance and image enhancing drugs? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So yeah, definitely less than twenty one years old. We do, you know, we're, we're worried because there are some irreversible complications. Right. Um, you know, and, and including kind of, you know, joint and bone pain, um, stunting of growth, you know, and early maturation, um, physical maturation, sexual maturation. Um, and, and I just, I mean, we've got the data that uh, Katinka presented about the Australian Secondary Students mm. um, survey and how there's increasing use amongst young people in high school. And just uh, on part of the GPs in schools program, and anecdotally even, we've seen the GPs that go out to the local schools in our area reporting that, especially with the private boys' schools, they're seeing more of right. um, these yeah, younger boys using steroids. And, and partly because, you know, social cultural factors of kind of, you know, the, the ideal figure for men, you know, in the media and whatnot, um, and especially among social media. But I, I got referred... Uh, 18 year old um, boy from from a school counselor at one of these private boys schools and and he'd asked his kind of regular GP for some anastrozole because he was really concerned about he wanted it he researched about starting steroids on the internet um, he was going to a gym you know seven days a week training he had other friends who'd started using some of the um, anabolic androgenic steroids as well as um, SARMs, selective androgen receptor modulators, and, and he was planning to start it um, when the school counsellor told me about this um, 
boy that he was referring. And then once the boy actually came to my rooms, he'd already started. So he'd started for about four weeks or so. Okay. And and he was really um, worried about, uh, you know, he'd started for the first two weeks with the Psalms, but had some side effects like that. Then he, you know, discontinued the Psalms and then he'd started um, injectable testosterone for a couple of weeks. But he was really concerned about, um, gynecomastia mm. um, so hence he was trying to get a script you know from his other GP about um, for the Nastrozole to prevent that um, but also acne and and he'd previously been prescribed Roaccutane mm. for um, his acne mm-hmm. um, and so he was just yeah he was he was getting clean needles obviously he was kind of a little bit yeah newer he didn't know too much about it so the conversation we had was a bit more about the education sure, about the harms sure. of steroids we talked about like things like um, infertility um, and, and that can take, you know, a couple of years to come back and, you know, just, you know, but I guess with younger people, we wanting to address the issues. We know that long-term risks don't resonate with them, you know, but we know that short-term risks and what matters to them are things like what their peers will think of them and, you know, the, the concerns maybe about their appearance. So really tried to kind of engage him around his acne um, and yeah. going to be really front of mind for, for that young person at that time. Um, and, and I suppose, um, Katinka, you know, just, just wanted to loop you in a little bit here. When you were talking about the, the studies, um, particularly with that, the, the younger group, do you, is it in your experience there's a different kind of use that goes on for young people? Well, what is more so concerning, you know, where we, you know, historically look at how people used steroids, it was like, you know, what's called an on and an off cycle. So people would use, you know, generally maybe one or maybe two steroids for, you know, a certain amount of weeks, and then they would take a break uh, for several, you know, just as long, just to minimize, you know, any potential uh, adverse effects and, and so on. And what we do now see in research is that, you know, uh, amongst young users, but also other users, is that we see that they are increasingly using higher amounts, you know, even as like their very first cycle, they will use like very high amounts, they will use multiple types of steroids, and they sometimes, and we also see that they often are taking no breaks at all anymore, so this is called the blasting cruise approach, so they will take high amounts, and instead of br- stopping, they will just reduce the amount that they're using, and we do see you know, with other research, uh, we see from research that, you know, and I mean, that makes sense, of, of course, as well, the more people use, the more different types of stairs to use, the more likely they are to experience side effects as well. So this is, you know, quite a uh, concerning trend. And the problem is also is that a lot of this information comes from peers or from, you know, online forums where they are reading about, you know, specific cycles and are like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to adopt this. And, you know, and... <laughs> What I also try, I mean, try to explain to young people um, is that, you know, at that age, their testosterone levels are, you know, through the roof. Like, unless there is a medical indication that something would be wrong with the testosterone, like their levels are super high. So they can achieve a very muscular, you know, in general, they can achieve a pretty good physique with just training and nutrition. So, you know, why take that risk of steroids where you can already achieve so much with, you know, other, you know, um, you know, natural ways of achieving a, phys- uh, a muscular body. And I really want to emphasize that point that Esther also makes in the sense that, yeah, talk about 
things that directly impacts them. So talk about acne, because yeah, the long-term risk, like, you know, talking about cardiovascular disease, that is not something that, you know, they're really going to consider right now. So it is really tough, you know, talk about those things that actually can impact their appearance as well. And what I do want to highlight as well is that when talking to this group, be non-judgmental and also acknowledge that these substances work and they bring pleasurable um, you know, they're for, you know, functional, functional reasons. And so, you know, be honest about that as well. But so have an open conversation about that. So, you know, we, we get it, we, you know, they work, but there's so many other, you know, things that you need to consider and options that you potentially can explore as well before, you know, using substances. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really good advice is um, thinking about who the patient is in front of you. If it's a really young person, as you were describing, um, Dr. Han, it's really about thinking about um, what might be important to talk with them about, to engage them over. Um, Can you tell us, as we're starting to wrap things up, if a GP is actually managing someone um, and, and what are some of the things that they really, you've talked through a lot of the the, the, te- the tests, the different tests that people should be thinking about, some of the referral pathways that they might also want in, in particular circumstances. But what are some of the things that GPs really need to keep front of mind if, if they have a patient who is uh, using uh, performance and image enhancing drugs? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, definitely, um, you know, um, you know, educating them about the possible health consequences of their use and, um, you know, treat any health consequences. So if, especially, yeah, if the person does have high cholesterol and they're high risk for heart disease, then, then you know, you treat that. Um, bit of harm reduction advice about, you know, not mixing the steroids with other kind of substances that might um, cause more harm. So, you know, things like stimulants might be used with, um, steroids and and that can make somebody more aggressive you know m- more risk of heart disease um, affect their sleeping patterns and again using kind of sedatives and, and mixing them with um, steroids you know can have its harms um, you know other advice about you know training and and you know getting good diet and rest and and if the person asking what their goals are around their kind of you know whether it be fitness goals or physique goals and then sending them Mm -hmm. to somebody um, an expert in that field Um, all the stuff about injecting you know where are they getting their injecting equipment from do they know how to inject steroids you know which are very thick and viscous um, safely into the big muscle group Um, and so I would refer them to the local needle syringe program if you have one um, and and mm. the guys there you know the workers there are really great at um, giving they see a lot of these patients and so they, they know how to give them good education and engage them around safer injecting practices um, doing the the bloodborne virus testing if they've got risky injecting practices or offering sexual health screens as well if they're kind of sexually active and um, you know just arranging regular follow-up so you know um, getting them to come back and see you for blood tests, you know, when they're on, mm. on their cycle and when they're off their cycle, um, maybe, you know, prescribe something like um, sildenafil or, you know, if, if they've got erectile dysfunction associated with their um, issues and if they've got mental health issues, then, yeah, treating that, referring them to appropriate health professionals. So I think kind of looking at the person, not just their steroid use, but looking at them holistically is really important. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I think 
there's lots there to take on board. Are there, as we start to pull together, are there any particular resources um, that you would recommend? Um, Dr. Hahn, are there things that you find particularly useful as a GP? Uh, some of them have been mentioned, but perhaps you could mention the ones that you find useful in your practice. Yeah, so I think especially for patients to get kind of credible information because that's something that they want and we know that from the research literature, not exaggerated, uh, you know, about the harms but also kind of, you know, a little bit more um, information than they might just get randomly off the internet. Um, the Exchange Supplies website has this great pocket guide to steroids and that's a good one maybe especially for the newer, um, newer users of steroids. Um, and so that's something that I would often, yeah, um, give to patients um, on the Sydney North Health Network um, website, the GP Guide to Harm Minimization. There's also videos about safer injecting. So some of these resources that are very practical for our patients that we could give to our patients. And then also on that same website, it's got information for health professionals and there's links to yeah various, um, you know, uh, resources that, that are helpful for health professionals to know about. One of the biggest criticisms that um, users of steroids have is that they feel like they have to educate their, their health professionals about steroids. And so, um, yeah, if you, if you can learn a bit about them, it might help with a bit better engagement with the patients that are using them. Fantastic. Well, look, all of the resources and the links that have been spoken about by Dr. Hahn and also by Dr. Van der Ven, they are available as part of the podcast. Um, we'd also encourage you to check out the Your Room uh, website, which has information uh, for both uh, community members and professionals. I really want to take this opportunity to thank you, um, Dr. Esther Hahn, and to thank you absolutely, Dr. Katinka Van der Ven, for your time today. Thanks everyone for joining us.